4: Welcome to the Michelle Miao Show here at the Commonwealth Club. The Michelle Miao Show is your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. Every Thursday at 10 o'clock in the morning, we will be here at the Commonwealth Club, in which the program will be taped for later broadcasts on Progressive Voices Network with my co-host, John Zipper. John I'm so excited to be back with you for the third time. The
2: third time, and <laughs> actually the second time in, what, 12 hours that you've been at the club? You were here last exactly. night.
4: Exactly. I feel like I could, uh, I should have slept over last night. I could have been <laughs> a slumber party. We had our welcome reception last night. The Honorable Mark Leno spoke, as well as Cecilia Chung, uh, long-time trans activist here in San Francisco, but yeah, her life was told And a very
1: good friend of mine. And a really, oh, really? good friend
4: of Andrea's, right. and, and, and uh, we might as well just get started with our main guest, that's why you're here this morning, is to hear and listen and exchange ideas with Andrea Jenkins, who was just newly elected to the Minneapolis City Council, very excited to have her here with us this morning. Andrea, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you very much, Michelle. I appreciate the opportunity.
4: So, you know, uh, I mean, it has been incredibly exciting since that election. I mean, you're one of many LGBTQ people who have been elected to office, but the media has uh, identified you as the first openly African-American transgender woman to be elected to office here in the United States. How does that make you feel?
1: You know, I, so I love that you prefaced it with the media has, has identified me as such. Uh, I personally don't, you know, I, I don't introduce myself as the first openly African-American, yada, yada, all of that stuff. But, you know, I, I do want to just point out that um, there was uh, a black, transgender woman who served in the Massachusetts State House um, in the 90s. And, um, you know, so she sort of paved the way, uh, even though at that particular time she was not able to be um, out um, for, for various reasons, um, and she was outed. But, um, you know... It, it feels amazing. I mean, it feels amazing to be adjusted with the responsibility of representing my community uh, in City Hall. Um, I think it offers uh, a lot of hope and inspiration to a lot of friends, uh and gender conforming young people all over the country. You know, I think it offers a lot of hope and, and inspiration to... Um everyone in in this sort of dark moment in American history, uh, you know, we have a sex offender for president uh, who is absolutely decimating our democracy every single day, um, and so people People need some hope. People need some, some some joy and some inspiration, and I think November seventh provided some of that when when seven trans identified people were elected to public office, and I think um, this past Tuesday offered some of that when um, the state of Alabama showed up and said, you know, we're we're not going to. Um, Elect a pedophile to represent our state in the, in the United States Senate. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, it feels it feels great. It
2: feels good. When you were running the campaign, what were the issues that that both? What was your platform, and then what were the issues that came up? Things always come up during campaigns that you know maybe we're not on platforms or not. But I mean, was was the transgender issue even part of the campaign, or was that? It was all about uh, you know city and urban issues. I mean what was what what did everyone talk about?
1: Well, you know our platform was equity, uh, leadership, and access. So you know we wanted to to we want to make sure that we are opening up the halls of government so that all of our residents can participate in those processes. But the issues that we ran on were um, police accountability, affordable housing and, um, and economic development. And I think those are issues that resonate with, with people all around the country that live in inner cities. Um, you know, in, in terms of issues emerging um, throughout the campaign, um, I would say that for the most part, it was a relatively um, um, uh, how a mundane <laughs> news cycle for the most part. I mean, you know, we we as a city we dealt with minimum wage issues uh, throughout the campaign, so that was a that was kind of a big deal. And um, Minneapolis has become one of the few cities in the country that is. Offering um, fifteen dollar minimum wage uh, so so that was an issue but my transgender identity didn't come up as, a, as a um as an issue I think it certainly was in people's minds that you know this is an opportunity for us to vote for someone who who represents a Sort of marginalized community, um, an oppressed community. I'm also African American well you guys noted that in the top of the show mm-hmm. but um, you know a black transgender woman um, in in city hall is somewhat mm-hmm. of a um, certainly not an anomaly um, going forward, but it it was. When we got elected, so sure. yeah. um,
2: well, and and you um, didn't just get you know, elected. I
1: think people, I think people wanted to, to to support our campaign and say that we think that this black transgender woman is very qualified to serve in this role. You know, I worked in city hall for for twelve years. I mm-hmm. worked in in county government for ten years prior to that. I have um, a significant and long-term history of public service in this community, and so people know me, and you know they know my work ethic, they know my values and my ideals, which is which is and, really uh, incredible.
4: And Andrea, I want to stay on that. You know, you said something really important about identifying as an African American transgender woman who's now sitting on the Minneapolis City Council right now in this country there's an epidemic of transgender women of color who experience violence i mean transgender women uh, you know in general but especially transgender women of color um yeah, even in minneapolis in the um... cc mcdonald case you know a very popular case that that got the uh, the media's attention i wanted to get your thoughts on that and now being a, a, as an elected official and in leadership We've got to do something more about this, right?
1: Yes, absolutely. And so, um, you know, I just want to say rest in peace to the um, young African-American woman who the 24th murder this year, who was just found in Houston um, this morning, I believe. Uh, And, um, you know... My my heart goes out to her friends and family, but um, you know, the CeCe McDonald case happened here in, in Minneapolis, um, and at the time, I I was a freelance journalist. I'm a writer um, and an artist as well, but um, you know, I wrote um, a story about it and it and landed up it landed on the front page of the. Uh, local black newspaper here, and, you know, to try to bring attention and awareness to these issues. And, you know, subsequently, at the same time that C.C. McDonald was being tried for um, for murder, which was, you know, eventually dropped to manslaughter, um, at the same time that that case was happening, Trayvon Martin, um, murderer... Um, I can't even call his name right now, but right. he was, um, you know, he was acquitted of all charges. Um, and it's it, its just a travesty of justice that transgender people face uh, from all sides. I mean, C.C. was attacked by transphobic, homophobic uh, persons, one of the person's Uh, who attacked her had a swastika tattooed on his stomach, Um, and and yet still she was still tried and and subsequently um, imprisoned in the men's facility. So, you know, some of the things that we have done since then was um, at the city of Minneapolis, we started a transgender uh, commission that... um, Creates a an advisory body for transgender and gender nonconforming uh, folks to be able to bring their issues to the city council, advise the council on how to deal with those issues, and so as as a member of the city council, I absolutely intend to be um, very deeply engaged in that work. But um, you know, I, I think. A big part of the challenge for transgender women of color, and it's, and it's, it's, it's wrapped up in sexism and racism, um, is employment and housing. So, you know, one of the things that I want to try to do is develop a, a job training program that is uh, centered in some sort of housing development where people can have... Um, access to safe and affordable housing, as well as to employment opportunities and employment training. So um, those are some of the things that I intend to, to work on And, and... initially, um, but also being open and attuned to the issues that people are bringing up around the country and, and being able to, you know, as a transgender, identified people, person, elected official, I can bring those issues forward, whereas um, in a way that people will discuss them, whereas prior to that, you know, it, it was just a much bigger appeal climb to get awareness and attention to the issues facing the community.
4: Don't go away. We'll continue with the Michelle Miao Show right after these messages.
3: Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. where do we start? (laughs) Starting
4: a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit pacificfertilitycenter.com.
2: Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club.
3: And now back to the Michelle Miao show.
1: I intend to write about these issues. Um, I have a platform and a microphone now, so I will be lifting up those issues and talking about them. You know, um, we talk about the violence, but there's also issues around HIV and AIDS that impact transgender women of color as well. And so there's a lot of work to do. Um, and, and yeah, I'm, I'm going to be uh, in the forefront and doing that. And it's really... Awesome because I also have another transgender colleague on the Minneapolis City Council who is going to help to work on those issues as well. so
2: I, I was going to ask about that. so what is the makeup of the council? Is it largely you know politically liberal what I mean from I, I assume it is from what I know of Minneapolis, but I mean, yeah,
1: no Minneapolis is is a, a very progressive. Liberal city mm-hmm. um, and the council is no exception so I would say that we have it's a thirteen person body we have nine people that absolutely identify themselves as quote progressives uh, and we have one green party member uh, but all of the all of the The other 12 um, city council members are Democrats. And so even though it's a nonpartisan body, but, yeah. Well, we're
4: we're really, really, really excited. It's pretty liberal. uh, Yeah. Uh, We're really, really excited that you're a part of that leadership, and it just sounds like the the work that you're going to do is just going to pave the way for so much progress and, and what we need. Yeah, we have three questions coming.
1: Okay. Um wonderful.
4: Uh a question just came through about the gender balance of the council. What what is it?
1: Yeah, and that's a very that's a very interesting question. Uh I believe it is there are five women on the council. Okay, let me do the math here. Uh Myself, Lisa Bender, Lisa Goodman, Renee, Alondra. Yes, there are five women on the on the council and and seven males, three African Americans, one uh, Muslim identified person. One of the five women are, is Latino Latina, and um, we have five white guys. I,
2: I, not one to start rumors, but. Is there any truth to the rumor that Governor Dayton is going to make you the first transgender senator?
1: Uh, Unfortunately, there is no truth to that rumor. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) As uh, uh, the governor has already named uh, the Senate, um, the Senate, the Senator, um, and her name is Tina Smith. um, Who I, I support the I support his his appointment. Um, she has been city governor, she was chief of staff for the mayor. I know her pretty well. I, I think she will be a great senator um, for the state and for the country. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the kind of work that she's going to do. Great.
2: Did you have a question?
3: Yeah, uh, my name is Bruce um, Bodet and I'm from I was born in Minneapolis, uh proudly um acknowledging that and moved to San Francisco in 1978. Uh, right now in our city it's
1: Kind of expensive out there. You can come back.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh once it gets warmer. <laughs> uh, yeah, I hear you. Yeah. You know, um so in our city we just had a a, a mayor pass away um Chinese American mayor. Um,
1: yeah, Ed th- Lee. I'm so sorry. Um, my my condolences to the city.
3: And we have a an, an African American woman who is uh, heterosexual who is taking his place for the moment. The president of the board of supervisors here, like the city council there. Uh, mm-hmm. To me, she presents something exciting in my mind. Uh, At the moment, it seems that the zeitgeist of the country, you know, needs more of a focus on women. Uh, One of her potential candidates uh, is a a white male gay man uh, who I like. But at the same time, it's kind of sort of, you know, do we just need, you know, an LGBT person? Or do we need something else. Um, London Breed, who is the current acting mayor, um, I've always liked her participation in the gay parade. She always has the most fabulous float in the parade. Uh, <laughs> it's covered with glitter. There's go-go men of all ethnicities, uh, go-go dancing and speedos. Um, a, a gay supervisor who's now moved on to the, the state in Sacramento, nice man, but... Uh, has the least gay contingent in the parade. (laughs) So I don't always think that, um, you know, straight or gay uh, is is important for me as a voter. Your thoughts?
1: Yeah, no, great question. Um, And as as a former um, Twin Cities Pride Grand Marshal, uh, I can appreciate the fabulous floats that uh is her name London I think it is yeah. um, is is presenting uh you know here's my thing on that I I think we really need to um to lift up the most qualified people to serve in public office. That being said, I think that there are, I mean, if she was the president of the city council, she absolutely has the capacity to be the mayor. Um, and given equal, um, you know, sort of equal credentials and capacity, I think we should be lifting up African American women. African American women have been. Um, at the forefront of of trying to lead change in this country, from Jonah Truth to um, to Harriet Tubman to Shirley Chisholm, all the way up to you guys amazing Congresswoman um, Maxine Waters, um, and Black women can lead. Black women showed us yesterday or tuesday that you know when we when we center the most marginalized people in our communities that everybody benefits and so um you know we had a in here in minneapolis we had a, a gay man running for mayor uh it was a very hotly contested mayoral race but and he really tried to make a big um a big deal about his sexual orientation, but people just weren't buying it. They say, hey, you know, we we live in a city that is pretty open and welcoming to the LGBT community. And so it his his gay identity just didn't matter. And I think that's probably the same case in in San Francisco. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, Harry Harvey Milk had been elected many, many, many years ago. And so um that that novelty, if you will, um, of, of electing a gay mayor is is no longer uh is no longer like a unique thing. It it yeah. has to be the most qualified person. Isn't and it? and in this uh, day and age I think that we have to lift up women have to uh, Certainly,
2: uh, the black women's voices, and and that's my it, it, I. I agree. I mean, it's actually a, a great advance when the issues that Andrea Jenkins was dealing with was, you know, what are we going to do about police issues and and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff, and that they accepted the fact that she's a transgender African American. I mean, that that you know that that's a part of your identity, but also. You know, hey, I'm from Wisconsin. I know one of the big issues is going. Anyone heading to the mayor's offices, are you going to plow the streets in time? You know?
1: Right.
2: And, and so, I, I it is a
1: big issue in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Oh let yeah. me tell you, you <laughs> can you can lose office very quickly if if the streets are not.
2: Real. Absolutely. I think we all remember the, the that's how Jane Byrne got into office in Chicago. Um, but I, exactly. I, I, I just think this is, this is great when those are the issues that I think it'll come down to, say it's London Breed, Mark Leno, and are usually like 13 or 14 other people running for office in the city. That they're going to be talking about great. What are we going to do about affordable housing? What are we going to do about this kind of stuff? And both of those two, I think, are certainly capable of handling those discussions. So it should be a very interesting race here you are. I, I had one question for for uh, Andrew Jenkins andre you didn't just win election you got 73 percent of the vote I mean that's a landslide um, tell us a bit about your district your 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 uh, uh, I don't know if they're called your the ward or the district that elected you is it a very well, diverse district is it what's it like
1: it's an extremely diverse district it's it's re- it's diverse economically it's diverse uh Racially, um, it's an interesting, interesting configuration. How they set up the war—it's bifurcated by the freeway. So, on one side of the freeway, on the west side of the freeway, is um, sort of middle to upper income, uh, mostly white families, kids, and then it's sort of. You go south a little bit, and it's more of a—I'm sorry, you go north a little bit, and it's more of a hipster, young, urban professional kind of um, community. And then you go on the east side of the the ward, up the freeway, and it's historically an African-American, middle-class community as well, but has been very much— Somali and immigrant communities, Latino families have moved in. And so uh, it's extremely diverse, but it's, it's in the district that Pete Ellison, uh, a U.S. congressman, sure. was elected in, and, and we have been called one of the most aggressive districts in the country, the fifth, the fifth congressional district. Um, You know, my... My state senator is an African American man. My state representative is a Native American lesbian woman. Uh, she's an attorney. You know, so it, it's a pretty diverse. It sounds community. like Minneapolis uh, can be, but but people really uh, care about the
2: issues. They, they,
1: they care less about um, about um, you know identity. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and much more about how are you gonna deal with affordable housing? how are we gonna deal with uh with energy conservation and, and environmental justice issues um you know it's a very bike um, friendly community uh, people are deeply concerned about affordable housing so um it's it's very diverse, it's very progressive, but but very deeply um, concerned about the issues that impact and affect people's lives.
4: It sounds like uh, a a micro, like dream come true that can be applied to the macro, which is. Let's get the country moving in the direction that Minneapolis is going. Andrea, we're gonna wind down. we've've we've, we've had you on now for half an hour, and I'm sure you've got uh, much more important things to do. <laughs> um, well,
1: that's a great conversation and I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, we're so so, so right. honored
4: that you're here with us in our kickoff of this program here at the Commonwealth Club that's dedicated to the LGBTQ community. My last question for you before we let you go, is although, you know, 73% of of your voters voted for you, there's the other uh, 27%, I think, for us in the LGBTQ community, although this is an exciting time as far as society's acceptance of us, there are many of us who still live in fear, in fear that uh, we may not be accepted, or in areas in which we're still experiencing some type of violence. I'd love to hear from you and maybe some words of encouragement and inspiration for others who who might still live in fear or, um, you know, just kind of what your best practices are when it comes to the naysayers or the negative Nancys out there.
1: Right. Well, you know, I absolutely agree that while the Supreme Court has ruled that marriage equality is the law of the land, we still know that in 36 states all around the country – um, people can be fired for uh, their their sexuality uh, or who they love um, or for expressing their gender identity in a way that doesn't conform to societal norms. And so, you know, I want to just offer that we are going to continue to fight. <laughs> we are going to continue to stand up and lead. um, you know we're going to bring up these issues every every opportunity we can to to make sure that uh, LGBTQA and I think you said LMNOP. I'm not quite <laughs> sure what those uh, <laughs> what those acronyms stand for, but uh, you know we 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 have to create legislation that's going to protect our our communities. And um, you know, I, I, I encourage people to live their truth, live their lives, uh, particularly. Um, and I think when you do that, people are are, are willing to accept you as you are. Um, when I first came out, I would I would always tell people that um, I, I recognize that. People accept you to the level that you accept yourself and um, and sometimes it's really hard for us to really accept who we are and but when we when we can live our lives authentically, when we can live our lives openly, people respond to that, and um you know, I hope my election, my life my the work that i've been able to do um really helps people to understand that you can live an open, authentic life and be successful, be engaged in, in our communities, in the workplace, um, in our national dialogue about what is the direction that our country should be going in and, um, you know, keep the faith. Stay strong. Uh, we we have come a mighty mighty long way. Uh, we still have a very very long way to go, but um, but progress is being made, and I think that twenty eighteen we got to get out and vote. We got to knock on doors. We got to make phone calls. We got to stand up and run for office. Um, but. But the momentum is here, and I I can feel it. Uh, I'm pretty sure you guys can feel it out there in California. And we got to take back the house, take back the Senate, and take back the White House. Um, and and we need to do those same things in our state legislatures, and our city halls, and and we can win.
4: We can win. I love that. We'll end on that note. Andrea, thank you so much for joining us here on the Michelle Miao Show here at Commonwealth Club, and uh, congratulations, uh, America is very lucky to have you.
1: Thank you, Michelle, and uh, thank you to all your uh, your guests and your audience. I really appreciate the opportunity.
4: Welcome back to the Michelle Meow Show, your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. So the LMNOP doesn't necessarily (laughs) mean their actual identities of our community, but it's ever so expanding, right? And uh, we just want to be as inclusive as possible. The show tapes here Thursday mornings at 10 o'clock, and John Zipper of the Commonwealth Club is my co-host.
2: LMNOP, lovely men and other people. (laughs)
4: Great attempt. Sorry, it's gender-specific, but... (laughs) We had an incredible conversation with Andrea Jenkins, who was just elected to the Minneapolis City Council, and uh, today's discussion and topic is centered around transgender leadership or trans-in leadership, and so the second half, we'll speak to Addison Bowe, who has gone through a leadership program at Stanford and uh, is a communicator, a storyteller, uh, a poet and someone you know who I would love to find out a whole lot more about. So Addison, welcome to the program.
0: Thank you so much.
4: Let's talk about let's talk about you first, and and then we'll get into the good stuff of just you know your thoughts on leadership. But uh, let's get to know you. You know where you grew up. Um, some significant memories you'd like to share. Sometimes on the show when we introduce people. We always like to t- tell coming-out stories if you're comfortable. So, who's Addison?
0: That is a great question. Also, for just human beings, asking any human being, who are you, <laughs> is a pretty deep question. I can say for myself, uh, so I grew up in Massachusetts, uh, just south of Boston, near Cape Cod, and I started calling myself Bob when I was about five. And until, until it was probably made obvious to me by, by, by some narrow-minded grown-up that that wasn't okay. Uh, but in terms of a coming out story, I remember being in kindergarten, and my name uh, was Amanda. And my teacher started writing my name on the board for some reason, and as she was writing it, uh, one of my classmates interrupted her for like some glue or something like that and so she stopped writing my name to attend to the student but she stopped at a m a n and it said a man on the Mm -hmm. chalkboard and i remember panicking and i thought oh no now everyone's gonna know i'm a man and she eventually returned to the chalkboard and wrote the da in but it's uh so i then spent the next 35 years with that awareness and trying to decide what I would do about it. But,
2: yeah. Uh, when did you come out here then, into San Francisco? Good question. Okay,
0: so I grew up in Massachusetts. Yeah. I, I, I went to a women's college, uh, Mount Holyoke College in Western Mass. So mm-hmm. on my resume, I'm, I'm essentially always out as trans because if anyone knows Mount Holyoke, it's, it's definitely a women's college. And, uh, and then I moved to New York City for a public policy fellowship. And from New York City, I moved to Tucson, Arizona, following love, and also found all kinds of other things there too. And I ended up working for Congresswoman Giffords in Tucson as a policy advisor, and also as a I worked in constituent services during the the height of the foreclosure crisis. So I was I worked with uh, a little over 2,600 families uh, saving, trying to save their homes from foreclosure. So I was morally, essentially, kind of attempting to morally persuade financial institutions as to why they should give families more time, more considerate, more thorough consideration. And then from there, um, after the shootings happened in Congresswoman Gifford's office and she resigned, I I was looking for work and I lived in Arizona for 11 years. And so I I moved to Washington, D.C. and uh, did I, I was a congressional liaison for a federal agency and also did some speech writing. And then from there, I was there for about five years and I heard about this Inaugural LGBTQ executive leadership workshop at Stanford. And I went to it and fell in love, really, with the Bay Area and Stanford and magically found myself with a job and living here shortly after. So that's how I ended up here.
4: Sounds like an incredibly successful path in a lot of ways in which, um, you know, those experiences sometimes... Are not afforded to members of our community, um, and 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 you know Andrea had commented on why that is, but I wanted to ask you because you know like I mentioned earlier, you're a communicator, you're very passionate about being able to tell one story, and how did you how did you tell your story? How did you have an authentic voice? Uh, or or did you not? And just kind of talk about those experiences. Also, the success that you had in this, in this path while identifying as a member of the LGBTQ community.
0: Well, so first I'll say I'm a writer at heart. And one of the things is we read finished products and we think that that is how that wonderful piece of work came out. And the truth of it is... writing is an excruciating process for most, and multiple drafts get written, and sometimes many viewpoints chime in to mold a draft. So a finished product is is really the, the smallest part of the story, the revising process, and everything that went into it is the bigger part of the process. So for me, I feel like that is relevant to my identity or my career path, because it sounds very smooth and successful, and actually, and I think we do a disservice when we present ourselves as everything being very smooth and successful, when that path was actually full of tension, lots of courage to uh, persist and to believe in myself and, and to keep moving, there, there are and have been and probably will be all kinds of setbacks that were really hard and so really my story is about how i feel like a my superpower is resiliency because i've experienced all kinds of things those those experiences really came because i uh, in some ways for lots of reasons but i would definitely say resilience is the force behind them and i guess i'm pa- what i'm passionate about is being myself because i i don't know how i learned it or I mean, I'm sure if I I could describe how I learned it, but I guess what I realized at some point along the way is the way I feel being true to myself is the best feeling in the world. And there's no position of power and there's no salary and there's no amount of influence of any kind that feels as good as that kind of serenity. So I have trusted that that will deliver me to all the places I'm meant to be and there's nothing more important to me than that so i've had to let go of a lot of stuff uh, and i've had to forego some experience you know some advancements of all kinds to just be true to myself so it's i don't know if that helps
2: but Mm -hmm. as a writer and editor i I love that the the drafts that, that we go through um analogy because um both in the way we think about ourselves and judge ourselves but also the way we judge other people um, I see this a lot today in, in political discussions where you know you know this very hyper polarized world we're in right now in the or country that we're in um, you'll oftentimes see someone who say a conservative who says something against Donald Trump so there will be people who say, oh, that's great. And then there will be other people jumping in. Yes, but did you see what he used to do and blah, blah, blah. Or if, here's this video of this person 10 years ago saying how much they hated it Obama. It's like, yeah, and this person has now moved to here. And that's interesting, you know, <laughs> that all these drafts that, that uh, you know, it doesn't mean you like all those drafts, but it does mean that it all goes into coming up with this person that's here and that's the person you deal with. Um So and having had that that experience in the political world with the Giffords office, how did what did you learn from her leadership and and how she dealt with other people and and the opposition and and stuff that she must have faced?
0: Well, obviously, the world now knows what her staff knew working for her, which is she is a truly extraordinary person Mm -hmm. and one that I love very much and deeply respect and admire. And what drew me, I had actually given up on working in politics. I had sworn it off completely to go to school to become a child psychotherapist because I love I like victory. And I found working in politics, you could win significant things you felt great about. And then you get a new set of folks, new legislators come in. They sort of can wipe out, you know, 10 years of hard work. Mm -hmm and i thought you know i i want something that feels a little more solid what feels more solid and i've always loved kind of the healing arts and kids and i said you know when you give a kid a moment of real attentive listening and support their aspirations that's a moment that can't ever be undone and i like that idea i like i like being able to contribute a kind of good that that can't be undone. And usually presence with a person that moment can't be undone. So I was going to go – I started going to school to become a therapist. And I got called by her office to come in for uh, an interview. And I – this was like – I don't want to see politics as a little bit – it sort of like has an addictive quality of like, I'm not doing that anymore. (laughs) But I really uh, couldn't – for my well-being and yours, I can't do it anymore.
4: Uh, Politics and the Pride Committee. Yeah, Yeah. there you go. We all
0: all got those (laughs) – Entanglements, yeah. yeah. So, but you know, it's you don't you don't really say no when right. a congr- it's a wonderful honor. So I said, okay, I'll just go in for this interview and then politely decline. And um, they really had one over on me because I I fell in love with every member of the office. They're so service oriented. I mean, truly, what you would want from public servants, every member of that staff embodied. And it was, if I was honest with myself, I left politics because I was hurt. My heart hurt that people had power and over time either could be corrupted by that power or lost sight of why they sought it out to begin with or chose not to embody it in truly powerful ways to create systemic change and i was just it was so painful to to experience it and so when i encountered Congresswoman Giffords' staff it was uh it was like no this is the spirit that i'm chasing here this is the spirit that i want so I said yes, and so then I, I worked for her office for four and a half years, and I actually went to grad school f- uh, full-time at night and was oh. a therapist at night, a uh, couple, couple uh, doors down, actually, at a facility for kids. So that's how I ended up uh, working for her. But she's... Um, the thing that I... The reason why that I love working for her... And, and her district was a, a, is a very split district, and I loved that because it just as a spiritual person, I think it's really important to be able to experience and connect to the humanity of all kinds of people. And I'm particularly interested in connecting with people who may not understand me, I may not understand them, we may not agree, because I deeply believe that when we connect at a human level, we do find common ground. And in fact, that's the way that systemic change happens is by building common ground through intimacy and relationships. So I loved working in her district. Um, But she as a person was is kind-hearted she is she's a really strong leader and and she but she's kind-hearted towards every person she encountered and that didn't mean that she capitulated on her views Mm -hmm. but she treated everybody with dignity and respect and i loved that that's sort of the sweet spot um so anyway that's how she dealt with it that's how she led the office that's how she expected us to participate in our work and I found great satisfaction when someone would call me and say, you know, my house is being foreclosed on. It's gonna displace me, my wife, my five kids are gonna have to go to a different school. And, and they would say, and I just wanna let you know, I'm a Republican and I didn't vote for her. So if you can't help me, I understand. And I said, no, sir, that's, that's not how we work here. This is the public trust. This is public service. I, I would love to be able to help you in any way that we can. That's what the Congresswoman would want. So that was a real pleasure.
4: Thank you for that. Thanks for sharing that. Um, I got a question for you before we open it up to the audience for for questions, if you have some, for Addison and his experiences in in leadership. Uh, How do you, I mean, when we say leadership, especially leadership in this country, if you were to just say it loosely, what comes to mind when we think of who's in leadership in this country? And generally speaking, white cisgender straight men hold leadership positions in the country whether it's corporate political um everywhere almost how do you navigate that as a non-cisgender you know caucasian guy
0: it is challenging it's challenging so i identify as queer and for me, queer is about a way, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a way of being of an open-mindedness, a willingness to use the imagination to be more expansive, more inclusive, more, more imaginative, more creative. And that uh, kind of way of being can run counter to dominant power structures, can run counter to institutional structures that are based and structured by dominant culture so it's a choice that i make because i'm in a way experimenting with how to remain true to myself and also participate meaningfully powerfully lovingly in systems and in places that would benefit from dynamic change and it's hard and how to also more importantly how to not do that from from only my benefit um but really the idea is we all benefit from more uh dynamic and diverse uh cultures groups of people minds at the table um and it all the research shows that product smarter things happen when you have more and different kinds of people contributing their best thoughts. There's nothing. I really believe there's nothing we cannot solve when we are truly inclusive and bring lots of different minds to the table. It's magic and it it's fun. And um, but that means doing my part within my, you know, uh, white male community uh, to talk about how were the roadblocks often mm-hmm. and how to be, you know, not be roadblocks, how to do the internal work to be true support.
4: That's got to be some tough conversations. I can't imagine trying to, uh, you know, educate a, a, a white cisgender powerful man on on just thinking differently of the the rest of the world and having even just a discussion about gender right um, has been challenging in this country period and we're finding that out now with social media john any any question before we turn well, to and, and the specifically audience specifically on that yeah. topic
2: um dealing with art and and creativity and, and and poetry and you know all the ways you're you're in, investing and communicating through those um, is that a way of changing those minds or affecting those minds. I don't know if, you know, a 60-year-old person changes their minds all that often. Some do. But as far as, you know, people who might be white cisgender male, but if they've grown up being fed, you know, stories and movies and books and, and such that show, you know, a wide variety of people and the excitement that comes from that and all that kind of stuff as opposed to, you know, Rambo Part 12... I mean, what what is the power of the creative arts to do some of those conversations and the convincing for you? Do you think
0: the greatest power for the arts in my life is that it's uh, saved my life? The art the arts are a really self-serving, nourishing, life-saving endeavor for me. I mean that I couldn't I couldn't engage in conversations without being strong myself and without without tackling my own internalized stuff. And so art is the way that I and nourished and can have those have the strength to have to to exist mm-hmm. and to have conversations and of course It's incredibly powerful uh, to Touch people art and stories really touches people in their hearts and That's where they need to be touched to really then uh, Take substantive action, but I will say um, in terms of people not changing my mom is a 70 year old evangelical white Christian, you know woman we have an amazing relationship. She is incredibly loving and accepting and supportive, and so I also believe that it's important to be mindful of the ways people identify, and simultaneous, and to the extent you have to also be protective of oneself um, in the world, and yet also kind of hold a candle for that people can people really do evolve, mm-hmm. and I just happen to believe they evolve through loving relationships and and an openness. I mean, accountability Mm -hmm. must happen. It's sort of like both. And how do you loving how do you hold accountable and at the same time hold space for people to evolve, but yet not expect them to either, but. Create space so that they can. Um, And in the case of my family, I'll be honest. Like my approach, I'm 41. My approach has been like figure myself. Step one, figure myself out. Sift through my own internalized homophobia, transphobia, sexism, all this stuff have some self-understanding, some deep self-acceptance so that nobody can kind of push me off my center. There's there's no one that can push me off my center with respect to my identities. And I feel very grateful for that. So that's like step one. Then it was like, let me engage in conversation with my f- close family because so often as activists, we like teach in the community about how this goes. And meanwhile, our relationships are a mess. <laughs> and that's just for me doesn't feel right. So I've been trying to make my, re- my relationship with myself right, my relationship with my family and friends is... R- as right as they can be and then just slowly start with a little success uh, branching out and if really the only thing i ever accomplish is like this deeply harmonious and loving relationship with my mom and my dad that's awesome hopefully i'll have hopefully i'll have a little uh, do other good things uh but
4: you know as you were saying that i was envisioning you creating space and having a, a loving conversation with the president of the united states (laughs) i would do it you would do it here's why here's why i think so
0: often when we and again accountability is like the main character in this conversation because none of this is at the expense of accountability when other lives are negatively impacted or when the public or when the fundamental principles of public service are breached like accountability first and foremost and in addition to that i think my personal view of this um, is it's too easy to demonize and it's too easy to simply outlet rage towards another person. Um, because that somehow may would make me right or sanctimonious in the conversation. And the truth is, I think for me, I, I'll speak for myself. I have ingested the same crap that everybody else has ingested about myself, about other people, about folks of color, like through the media, all this stuff. So I I make choices to to unlearn some of these things, to correct my own behavior, all these things, right? But for me, it's uncomfortable for me to be in a position of saying this person is so X Y Z because it 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 somehow relieves me of my own accountability to myself, or it creates a dynamic where number one, it's about that person. Mm -hmm. So twofold, one. It's also about me. I have a responsibility in this situation, and number two, it discounts the history of our country that that made it possible for um, for sexual assaults, for racism, for sexism to be uh, to exist. And so, one per. It's not about one person. It's really about a, a much bigger thing which is culturally and historically what are the issues how do we relate to one another and that's going to take everybody and you can eliminate one person that you don't appreciate or like or maybe somebody you hate but that doesn't solve the problem for sure and of course accountability is important and holding people accountable sends all kinds of messages that are important but i'm not saying it as succinctly or as i would like to but i guess I'm not comfortable uh, with that level of demonization, which isn't to discount all the harm and the suffering that a person can cause in a leadership position, especially the leader of of the United States. But I'm also looking, what, what is my responsibility? And historically, how is this being played out all over the place? And
4: No, it's that absolutely beautiful. Sense. It does make a lot of sense. And that's why I think members of the LGBTQ community are, are unicorns. I mean, we're the magic um, that makes change happen. I love this. I mean, if there are some takeaways we can take from this program today, it's, um... it... you can feel, you can see, it's becoming tangible when we, as members of the LGBTQ community, are involved. Mm. Whether that's from a local level, or it's political, or you're in a part of an organization, or even in your personal relationships. I wanna thank everyone here today for joining us for the Michelle Miao Show. Tell all your friends, Uh, or share the program with everyone you know. It's here every Thursday at 10 o'clock in the morning with John Zipper, uh, our co hosts and for all the podcasts or the content, you can find it at michellemeow.com or commonwealthclub.org slash meow. We'll see you next time.